Please turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 8. We'll be reading uh, just verses 14 through 17 um, this morning. Let's pray before we read the scriptures. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation. That as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Over these last couple of weeks, we have been considering the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have loved the words from the Nicene Creed, uh, the Holy Spirit who is the Lord and giver of life, and that reply applies to everything in this creation including ourselves as he causes us to be born again in regeneration there is that ignition starting of a dead motor that ignition that gives new life to our hearts and then starts us on a on a, a lifetime of rehab until glory is worked in us in its full sense and we're with the lord forever we're so thankful that he gives us the ministry of the Spirit along the way. And we're going to be considering this morning the spirit of adoption, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Please read along with me. So then, uh, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit uh, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, the body, um, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Have you noticed that the words of the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed are almost identical in their opening phrases? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. If he didn't make the world, he would still be the Father. He is always Father. He chose to be a maker, but he is, in essence, Father. Deep down, 
for all eternity. He is Father. Some precious friends of ours uh, adopted um, three children. They had two children um, biologically, uh, and they uh, invited, welcomed three other children to join their family. And these were children that had challenges because of background and, and so forth. They were not just babies. They were young, young children. Many of us were gathered, gathered in the courtroom on that day when they were officially adopted into this family. One or two of the things that got my attention, that caused my I was amazed um, and couldn't help but think of, of this text. I was, I was amazed during the course of that ceremony, we could almost call it a service, uh, in the course of that ceremony, um, it was declared that these three children were given a new name. They walked out of that courtroom with a new name. The second thing they received was a share of their parents' inheritance, as if naturally born. I, I was stunned that those words were in this uh, adoption uh, uh, service. You get a name and you get an inheritance. Well, why um, were those kids adopted? They were adopted because the parents loved them. Gail and I were over at their place for dinner um, a couple, a few months ago now, and what struck me um, was the love between parents and children, natural born and adopted. It was it was beautiful. They had well been welcomed into the home, embraced by love. And you can say that the Spirit caused love to overflow among those individuals. A generous and sweet spirit among them all. The parents adopted because of love. My point uh, this morning, my theme this morning, is that you and I, you and I, would live and pray and suffer by faith as well-loved children of God. I think we're okay with the first two, living and praying, but suffering too as well-loved children of God. Take a look with me, please, um, at, uh, at, we want to begin with verse 15 as we consider three things about, about this text. The, the first is that adoption relieves fear. Adoption relieves fear. Fear is our fallen condition. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, verse 14, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Adam and Eve, you may recall, heard the spirit wind walking in the garden, and so what did they do? 
They were afraid. And so they hid. And we too, as their descendants, naturally hide from God's gaze out of shame. We too cover ourselves, but not with leaves. We have a foreboding sense of the justice of God as image bearers of him. And there are two predominant fears that haunt mankind. One of them is the fear, the recognition that creates fear that I'm not acceptable the way I am. And the second is that we are separated from a holy God. I'm unaccepted and I'm separated. And so we cover ourselves by blaming others for our sins. Gail and I heard a phrase this past week that that got our attention, uh, and it was this, Paul Tripp, you know the guy, your sin makes my sin not sin. If I can blame you for something and excuse myself, well, then I'll seize that opportunity. The first fear, the number one fear that we, that we have is I'm not good enough, I'm not acceptable. There is this thing going around these days called imposter syndrome. If you really knew who I am and what I'm capable of, you would recognize that I, as I believe myself, to be unable, unfit to be holding this particular position in a company or, or even in a church. I'm an imposter. There's a lifelong anxiety that grips many people. Will I be able to make it? Will I make it in this world? Am I safe? Am I safe? Christians, too, fall back into fear. Fear can haunt even Christians. We may think, we may imagine that we, too, are unacceptable and separated. And out of shame, we ourselves hide behind the leaves of presumed righteousness. Pretend righteousness. We're going to sing in just a few moments We Are God's People. One of the great lines in that hymn is, uh, is that the gospel frees us to live transparently. Live openly before God but also before one another to admit that we have needs and sins that we need grace. This is to be a community of people who recognize that they are that they are still plagued by particular sins and they need grace, they need help. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I can't forgive my brother. Pray for God's mercy. We're honest and we can ask for help because we are set free by the Spirit to live without pretense. So why did God adopt us? If you are a child of God, if you are, are chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ, you have come by faith into the kingdom, why would you say that God has adopted you? It is simply because he wants more kids. 
couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that the Trinity has been conceived as, as a, a, a loving community of three. Uh, the Father's love has, from all time, um, um, poured out upon his Son through the Holy Spirit. The Son has responded in love uh, to the Father and the Spirit through, through the work of the Spirit. And there is a community of fellowship, a community of joy and of love. Now we as believers, when we come to faith in Christ, when we, when we become a Christian, we get forgiveness. That's what we asked for. We know that. But we also get far more. The Spirit welcomes us into the fellowship of the triune God. We are welcomed into intimate fellowship with the Father, the Son, through the Holy Spirit. Why did the Father adopt more kids? He didn't have to. He simply wanted, and graciously wanted, you and me to sit around his table. Adoption relieves fear. Adoption also raises intimacy. Um, we love the doctrine of justification by faith. Justification addresses our greatest need. We are sinners in need of righteousness that we cannot self-generate. We are sinners who have sinned against God. We need the forgiveness of sins. And we love justification by faith through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Righteousness imputed to us by faith. We love it. It, however, is not the highest blessing that we have. J.I. Packer puts it this way. Justification by faith. In justification, the judge pardons our sins. He forgives us. We are accepted as servants in relationship to God, who is the almighty ruler. Yes, he is a kind master. And he has dealt with, through the grace of justification, our greatest need. But adoption is radically different. It is founded on a nearer, more tender, more endearing relation, that of the Father and the Son. And marvelously, as our confession says, we come to enjoy the liberties and privileges of the, of the children of God. Adoption raises intimacy. Adoption produces that sweetness of assurance. In fact, Romans 8, the whole chapter is set up, is put together to address the two great fears that we have. Uh, it, 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 Romans 8 uh, is shaped to quiet our fears and to shore up your assurance and mine. It opens up, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. There's no more condemnation. The book, the chapter ends with this fact. There is therefore now no more separation. 
Um, who is it, verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And again in verse 39, not neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 is designed to address our two great fears of not measuring up, of not being included, of being judged and being separated. And right in the middle of it, in the heart of it, is our text on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to is to be that you be assured that this reality is true for you, to bring confidence and assurance that I too may say, there is therefore now no condemnation, there is therefore now no separation. The spirit of adoption bears witness with your spirit so that you get it. He assures you that Jesus did enough. He persuades you that you are part of the family. And he gives you a new name. A name that in the New Testament age used seldom and used with mockery. The name is Christian, meaning, as Sinclair Ferguson clarifies, that the little Christ. That's your new name declared at your adoption. And you get an inheritance. God himself. You've received the spirit of, of adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. A term of intimacy. My kids have um, had some pet names for me, which I find endearing. Uh, they got it from me, I guess. I've given them pet names that they find less endearing. <laughs> but my son calls me Pops. I never asked him to do that, but he just calls me Pops. No one else called in the world calls me Pops. And my oldest daughter, 43 years old, she still calls me Daddy. Abba, Father, is kind of like that. It's a name, it's an endearing um, name. It, it's even been described as a word in baby language. It's how babies were taught to speak. A term of intimacy. We also see in this text uh, the delighting, the delightful reality that the Spirit helps us to pray. We've received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry. We cry, Abba Father. Uh, this is uh, a significant word. Uh, the Greek word for cry out, uh, kratzo. Um, is um, it is also a word that can be described as an as a, not even a vocalized word, but it's something like croaking or crying out, even without using words. It, it, it's it's imagine that it's a, it's a loud cry that expresses deep emotion, uh, not just intellectual belief in God as Father, but crying out with with an emotional heart and your situation of trouble 
even as Jesus did um, in the garden. The Holy Spirit helps you pray. Sometimes the best praying that we can do when we are beaten down, when we are deeply discouraged about something going on in our lives, sometimes the best prayer we can do is just to cry out, help me, help me. We can croak, help me, barely saying anything else. When you are at your worst, you can do some of your best praying. The Spirit groans with you. He prays with you. He testifies to you that you are a child of God. And the Spirit in you cries out with you and at times for you. He bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. The spirit of adoption gives a deep spiritual and psychological security that your sins are forgiven, there's no condemnation, and there is no separation. You are in the family of God. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace and it changes everything no condemnation no separation the spirit gives joy so we serve God in a completely different way we do not serve him as hired hands we do not serve him out of a sense of drudgery but we serve him with joy and with a smile because of his grace because we belong to him even hard things we can accept with thanks the spirit dismantles our insecurity how often when we have blown it especially publicly we have blown it and we are we feel to be on the outside of things the spirit assures us that we belong and we sense God's acceptance, not his distance. And he begins to dismantle that view of self-dependence and self-righteousness that grips our hearts still. And he dismantles that and he gets us to begin to see that the merciful Father is drawn to us in our weakness, not repulsed by us in our weakness. That's the work of the Spirit. The Spirit causes this assurance to rise. But the Spirit also, the Spirit of adoption also then, our being adopted also then requires suffering. If children then you are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This verse is telling us that we're on our way to heaven. We're on our way to heaven. There is a, a city, a garden city that we're waiting, to, uh, waiting to, to take up residency in. It's hard to grasp. It's a cube, a picture of it in Revelation. It's a cube that in each side of it 
1,380 miles, and it's a river running right through it, and there are there are, are, are gates of pearls, and there are streets of all kinds of gold and emeralds and so forth. And it's hard for us to imagine that. But even so, it is not the riches that capture our hearts. It is not the riches that captivate us. It is having him. It is not the neighborhood that attracts us, but the fact that, the fact that we are heirs of God, that you actually inherit God yourself, himself. There is a condition, and that condition is provided you suffer with Christ. There is this strange gospel going around called the prosperity gospel that is gripping continents like Africa and many parts of South America. The church is huge and growing, but much of it on a foundation of sand. And the prosperity gospel says that you come to Jesus and your suffering is over. And yet the true gospel says you come to Jesus and start suffering with him. Take up your cross and follow him. You are united to him in both glory and suffering. He is the exalted head. He suffered for you. And you, as part of his body, suffer for him. Which takes us back to John chapter 15, where the vine dresser is cutting and pruning. Um, my wife and I have been memorizing that chapter it was some time ago, and, and she drew to my attention, which often happens. She was as we were looking at those first couple of verses in that in that chapter, she said, Hey, wait a minute. Everybody gets cut. Everybody's being sliced by the vine dresser's knife. Branches uh, without fruit get cut in judgment. Branches with fruit get cut so they can bear more fruit. I, uh, you and me, and I and you, Jesus tells us. So you are connected to the vine, united to Jesus. You're connected to the vine. Believe it. And God cuts you because he loves you. Believe that too. We are tempted to believe it's a lie. We're tempted to believe that in our suffering, which at times can last a long time and we can be burdened under all kinds of things, physical ailments, uh, persecution for the sake of Christ, persecution for the sake of righteousness, even in the church. Where is God in all this? We're tempted to believe he doesn't care. But we must never forget that Christ suffered for our punishment and we suffer as part of this work of purification. And suffering teaches us far more than ease ever will. Just a few lessons from John Newton. I don't know if you've read much of him, but he was a man who suffered a great deal at different times in his life. And he, he was also a doctor of the soul. Uh, he was able to care for people's hearts. His more, more significant ministry was lighting, writing letters to people who reached out to him than a pulpit ministry. He was not particularly famous, well-known, or competent as a, as a minister, as a pastor, as a preacher. 
but what he wrote ministers to people still. Let's, let's consider a couple, a couple of his lessons. Um, God gives us trials to keep us from living at peace with our idols. He interrupts our idolatry with suffering. And he sends those trials to us not to hurt us, but to help us, to cleanse us from our foolish wandering. The real dangerous things in life, the things that really hurt us, well, that's our foolishness, our pride, our selfishness, our hardness of heart, our denial that we're even sinners at all. Those are the things that hurt us. And he sends you trials to awaken you to reality and point you back to him. It is useful for us to consider um, what self-indulgences we might be participating in even today. Creature comforts. The problem with creature comforts is that they can divert our eyes from heaven, divert our eyes from God. That line in the hymn that we sang earlier today, solid joys and lasting treasure. That's what suffering causes us to see. A couple of diagnostic questions for you as we wrap up here. Do you um, indulge yourself with your time, with your money, with your entertainment? When I say indulge yourself, do you do you use these these um, gifts, time, money, and entertainment, to satisfy you? rather than simply to receive as a gift and say thank you to God. Do you allow self-indulgent thoughts to corrode your soul? You may envy another's fortune. You may envy another person's gifts. Think of Psalm 73. Envy rots your bones. You may have resentment towards someone who has mistreated you. And when you do so, you spread toxins in your own heart. And you are the one who suffers for it. You can have anxiety or worry about a thousand different things. What is that? How does that help you? How does that serve you? It drains you of energy. And it keeps you from doing the next right thing that God is calling you to do. A great thing to do. When you are involved in anxiety that has immobilized you, you repent of that, you turn to the Lord, even as the, the, Mr. Graham led us in prayer earlier today, and you give thanks for the Lord, for his grace and mercy and kindness to you. And then 
you resolve that uh, that anxiety by just doing the next right thing. It can be an itty bitty little thing, just one act of righteousness. Back to John Newton. Faithful are the wounds of our infallible friend. He sometimes cuts deep, but never too deep, nor in the wrong place, nor at the wrong time. And he is, he is near to heal. He brings no unnecessary pain. Gail and I have been um, running for a number of years, many years, um, and it's not always fun. And sometimes after a run, we will look at each other and one of us will say, well, it is good to have done it. Well, you don't like to go through suffering. But aren't you glad to look back and be able to say, I'm thankful for what the Spirit did. Let's pray. How we give you thanks for the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. How we thank you that you have given us rest from the haunting fears of not measuring up and not being included of our sin and our exclusion. And so we give you praise and we ask, Lord, that you would be with each one of us here in our particular unique situations, that you would minister to us by the Spirit, that we would come to know you better and come to love you more deeply as we know your great love for us, your children. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.